as I was, I was thinking and I've been praying over this past year, um, you know, we, hit, we have been hit as a church. And, and listen, it's not just our church. Um, and, and I will tell you, I feel so blessed to be at Stafford County Christian Church, to be with this family. Because as I've seen um, many churches across this nation close because of COVID and because of so many things that are happening um, within our world, our world is so divided. And what has happened is the church is divided, but we're also seeing that, uh, we're, we're seeing the world is divided in all of the different arenas. We're also seeing the church more divided than ever Catholicism, people are leaving the church in droves. Some of them are attending other um, non-Catholic churches. Some are just not attending church at all. Denominational churches, non-denominational churches are closing their doors at a rapid pace because they can't, they can't provide, they can't hold up and have an existence because of what has happened over the course of the last 16 to 18 months. And it has been crazy to see what has happened to our church, especially the church in America. And because of everything that has happened, we as a church have been so divided. And so I said, you know what? Because of what has happened, people have, have left the church in general, the church at large, and they've left our church as well. And I said, okay, wh what do we do? How do we, how do we, how do we prepare ourselves? And, and what do we see coming? And I'll tell you, I met with the elders this last week. We had an elders and a staff meeting this last week, and, and we had a great meeting. And one of the things that we talked about was, was what, is, what, what God is doing at Stafford County Christian Church right now. And, and one of the things is we saw was there are some awesome things that are happening here at Stafford County Christian Church, and God is about to do something amazing. And I said, no, no, he's not about to do something. He is doing something. And he is working amazing. I, did you see this whole row? I mean, y'all are sitting here now, but you couldn't have sat here a few minutes ago because this whole section was full of youth. And, and we see the, the experience that these kids are having, but it's not just an experience. It's a change of heart. It's a change of soul. And we see God moving. We've had four youth give their lives over to Christ this past year. And we've had others say, hey, I want to serve right here at Stafford County Christian Church. And I see all of these things happening. And sometimes what I think, what, what I believe we need to go through is a time in the desert. And, and that's exactly what I believe the church in general has gone through. But even here at Stafford County Christian Church, we have went through some of that time in the desert. And we want to know, God, what are you doing? And, and there's times that I just want to go, hey, God, I know you're in charge, but can you tell me? what you're planning, because I, I am A. I, I, am, I, I need to know the info. Like, I'm the boss. Not really. You, but here at the church, I, I need to know what you're trying to do, because God, you're taking certain people, people that I love, people that I care about, and I don't understand why you're taking them from me. God, God couldn't you have just given them orders to stay here just a little bit longer? Like just three more years and three more years, I'm going to pray that they stay three more years because I, I don't understand it. Why is all of this happening? How many of you seen uh, the, the movie Castaway? Yeah, youth, if you're watching, you're like, Castaway, what's that? Tom Hanks, um, and, and he had, you know, he, he worked for FedEx and he was one of those, he was the top a, type A personality. He wanted to make sure that his packages were delivered on time. He was going to be on the plane and he was going to make sure that everything went down the way that it was supposed to. 
And, and so he decides he's going to get on this plane and he kisses his girlfriend goodbye and he leaves. And his worst experience that he could have ever went through happens. They, they fly through a storm and the plane goes down in the Pacific Ocean and the plane crashes. Everyone else dies on board except for Chuck. And, and Chuck is left there alone beaten battered bruised but yet he's still alive little did he know that he was going to be isolated from everything that he knew for the next four years and the changes that occurred in this guy named chuck are are truly amazing what we see happening within him back home he's considered to be dead they bury him his girlfriend moves on she ends up finding another man and life just goes on as if nothing had happened with chuck eventually over this time and then he's going to finally be rescued right and and, and he he loses wilson right like oh my goodness have you seen how many times wilson has made appearances in other movies just a side note it's a lot but his transformation what happened while he was in solitude the quietness the obscurity everything changes for him because when he comes back he's given all of this food and remember like he sees the seafood right in front of him and he's like cooked yeah that would have been so much easier but everything changes for him in those minutes those moments those four years of isolation and when we look at scripture and we just take a good long look, especially in the Old Testament, then we move into the New Testament. We see amazing things happen in the times in the desert, in that isolation. The first example that, that we have is Moses. Moses, Having grown up in the prestige and the environment of Pharaoh's palace, Moses was positioned to embrace a remarkable political future. But then he murders an Egyptian slave driver. And he takes off, he runs away, and he hides out in the desert. He ends up um, marrying, um, and his father-in-law, he tends his sheep, he's lonely, and he spends 40 years in the desert being prepared. It's not until he's 80 years old that he's actually ready to be used by God. And then we go to another man named David. And we love the story of David. He's anointed as king as a teenager, right? But he's not ready to actually take over in those moments. He won't actually take the throne for another probably 17 years. If he's 13 when he's anointed, it's probably going to be when he's 30 that he's actually going to be, that he's going to take the throne. David spent 13 years as a fugitive, hiding out running in caves, worried that King Saul might find him and put him to death. But it was in those moments in the desert that he learned how to rely fully on God. He becomes a friend of God in those moments. Another example in the Old Testament is this guy named Joseph. This young boy named Joseph had 12, um, well, Jacob had 12 sons, Joseph is the youngest one. He's given a coat of many colors. Now, I think, I believe Joseph had some problems, okay? Not, not only the problems that we read about in the Bible, but I think he showed off his coat. Being the young, how many of you are the youngest? How many of you caused problems to your older brothers and sisters, and then they got in trouble, but not you? 
Yet my youngest sister was totally like that. Okay, like she could get away with just about anything. And I was always the one that was blamed for it. Or I was, you know, not always, but a lot of the time that was the way. And sometimes I was the instigator in all of it too. But I think Joseph was the instigator. He go, hey guys, look at my coat. Isn't it cool? They couldn't stand it, could they? What'd they do? They were ready to kill him. Like they, let, let's put him to death. No, 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 no. Let, let's, let's put him in the cistern. You know, we can't just leave him there because somebody's eventually going to find him. Let's sell him. And he goes in, he, he sold into slavery in Egypt. He eventually works himself up. He finds himself in Potiphar's house. He's accused of something that he didn't do. And then he's thrown into jail. He spends two years in jail and he has some dreams. He, he, um, he, he helps interpret some dreams. And, and those people get out. The cupbearer, he's like, hey, hey, don't forget about me. Hey, as soon as he got out, he forgot, right? Yeah, and there's Joseph left in prison. And I'm pretty sure in those times, he wondered, God, where are you at? God, what are you, what are you doing in my life? I'm just left in, in, in prison in these horrible, horrible moments. At age 40, Moses thought he was ready, but he wasn't. As a teen, David thought he was ready, but he wasn't for several more years. Joseph, very early on, thought he was ready, but he wasn't. God was working. God was preparing them. And then we move into the New Testament. We come to this guy named Jesus. And we read that Jesus, he found time. People constantly around him, right? I mean, hundreds, if not thousands of people constantly wanting his attention. Even those that were closest to him were needy. Like those 12 were very needy. Those three that were closest to Jesus were very needy. And, and Jesus, there were times that I think he just, he, my grandma would always say, I want to shake you until your teeth rattle. <laughs> I think that's what Jesus wanted to do with Peter on more than one occasion. Uh, don't you guys get it uh, you know like just just let, get, get it let it sink in well what do we find jesus doing mark chapter 1 verse 35 and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed luke chapter 5 verse 16 but he would withdraw to a des to desolate places and pray jesus knew he needed to get away Jesus sets the example for us that we need times in the desert. We need those times where we're not really for sure what you're doing, God, but we know you're working. Keep working behind the scenes, work in my life, work in my church's life, work in my family's life, because you're going to do a movement and I'm going to be ready when you do it. And that's what we have to always be ready for. I think our problem is that we're blinded to ourselves. We are constantly blinded to everything that is going on in our lives. We often find ourselves and we think more highly of ourselves than we should. Well, I'm resourceful. Well, I'm talented. Well, I'm articulate. I'm responsible. I'm efficient. None of those were me. But sometimes I think those are me, right? And all of those, you think the same exact thing. Well, these are me. These are me. We ask ourselves, well, why should I pause? I have to stay busy. I have to get this done. I have to keep moving. I can't slow down. I can't stop. What, what, why should I pause? Why should we take a break to be with God? 
Why should we get more training and schooling? We think we're ready. Uh, again, I remember 18 years old, I'm going to head off to college. I really don't need college because I know enough. And then I went to college and I met some of my professors and I found out I didn't know nothing. And I learned, but then I was ready. I, I can do this. I, I know enough. I know more. And then I was humbled dramatically. And then I went back to college and I learned more. And then I was humbled again. God actually took me out of college for a semester because I was too busy being busy that I didn't pay attention to what I needed to pay attention to, which were my grades. And I was so busy with so many other things that he said, you know what, you need a timeout. And God put me in the desert and he put me at home. And it was at those moments that I realized what I needed to do. And then my grandparents said, since you couldn't keep up the grades, the rest of this is on you to pay for. And then it became mine. And then it was me and God working together. My grandparents were always there beside me and they were always supporting me. But they knew what I needed. They knew what I needed in those moments. And God knew what I needed in those moments. And he says, hey, it's time for a timeout. It's time for you to take some peace and quiet and be in the desert. And that's exactly what I did in those moments. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at this other guy. His name is, is Saul. Saul of Tarsus. Now, we know him as who? Yeah, we know him as the Apostle Paul. But he started out as Saul of Tarsus. And, and when, we, when we read about this guy of Saul of Tarsus, um, he was zealous for the Lord. And he uses that word a lot. And, and to be zealous for the Lord, he was on fire. He knew his religion inside and out. I mean, his Jewishness was off of the chart. From a young man on, he was on fire. He was exactly where he needed to be in those moments. And Saul, he, he, was, he was zealous, and he was on fire, and he was vicious. And he saw these band of, of people called Christians who were just completely destroying what his religion was. And they had this false guy named Jesus, and he was going to kill all of them. And he was doing a pretty good job of it. And he had received papers from the, the Sanhedrin, and he was on his way to Damascus, ready to kill more Christians, when he had an encounter with this guy named Jesus. And when he had this encounter with Jesus, everything changed. I want to go to Galatians chapter 1. This is where we're going to camp out for the most of the, the rest of the time. Galatians chapter 1, we read this in verse 10. Galatians 1 verse 10. For I am now seeking, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And, and what he is trying to get across here what was in the church in Galatia, there were, there were Jewish Christians and there were Gentile Christians. And the Jewish Christians said, hey, Gentiles, you've accepted this guy named Jesus, but there was a lot more that you had to do because you have to convert over to the Jewish side. So you need to cut this piece of skin off. You guys can figure that out. 
You need to start following all of our dietary laws. You need to start doing all of these other things on top of it. And if you keep reading in Galatians chapter 1, he says, y'all are following a gospel that's not even a gospel at all. Stop it. And so here he says, "For am I trying now to seeking the approval of man or of, of God? And he wants them to understand that it has to come from God and God alone. And that's the phrase, trying to please man. That phrase insinuates that there was a time when Paul had been trying to please man. And he was very good at it. Again, if you look at what he was, um, you'll see that. I mean, a large part of what had driven him earlier in life was now uh, what was the affirming nod of the Sanhedrin. To continue growing in what he saw as his religion. And that was his only focus. And he had missed what was directly in front of him. Because he was so busy trying to approve man. Let's continue Galatians chapter 1 verse 11. For I would have you know brothers that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former, former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own a many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who had called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. That's a lot. But what is... What is Paul really trying to drive home to us? Look at verses 13 and 14 again. Paul reminds us of his status among the Jewish up-and-comers. Like that was his focus. The ladder of religious success, he was climbing it, and he was on the up-and-up, and he was getting there really, really fast. And what did God do? He just pulled the ladder right out from underneath of him. He said, Paul, uh, I'm glad, but I'm just going to cut these rungs so you can't go anywhere else. And not only am I going to cut the rungs so you can't go any higher, I'm just going to cut it out from underneath of you so you just fall completely. You see, God set him apart to preach the very gospel that he had tried to silence. That was what he was set to do. Paul deliberately mentions two things that he did not do right after his conversion. What were they? First, he didn't immediately consult anyone. He didn't immediately go, hey, okay, so guys, I, I met this guy named Jesus and he came to me in this ball of light and he gave me this revelation. What do you think? He didn't do that. So that's the first thing that he didn't do. And then he, he didn't run it by anyone else. 
He didn't rush directly to Jerusalem and say, okay, let's compare notes, guys. Hey, Peter, let's sit down. Do these notes compare? Are, are, they, are they in a line now? Did they eventually line up? We know, yes, they did, because it was the gospel, it was the Holy Spirit that was working on Paul that had already done work in Peter. But he didn't immediately go up there. What did he do? It was important for Paul to emphasize these points. And, and one commentator, Morris, he, he explains it this way. He says, this emphatic disclaimer of any contact with earlier believers and their leaders makes it clear that Paul did not derive his understanding of the Christian message from anyone who were Christians before him. Specifically, he did not learn from, nor was he commissioned by those who had been apostles before him. It is of primary importance for Paul that he had been directly commissioned by Jesus. Paul needed this commission, especially because he was going to go to the Gentiles. Who for the most part, those in Jerusalem were not going to. They had went out a little bit, but they weren't where they were supposed to be. They were still focusing on the Jewish people first and foremost. And, and we'll see that Paul does that. He presents it first when he goes out to all of these other areas. First and foremost, he presents it to the Jewish people. But the moment they reject, he says, okay, bye. And he immediately heads directly to those Gentiles to spread the message. I believe that um, Paul received all of what he had and much more during this period of silence. Where, where does he go? It says that he went away into Arabia. Now, where exactly is that? Well, we're not really for sure. But it goes as far south as almost into Egypt, and it goes all the way north, almost to Syria. It is a huge swath of land that he says, hey, you're going to be somewhere in these areas. And you're going to be alone. You're going to be among the desert people. And you're going to hear the word of God in those areas. Now, we don't know the where, we don't know the why. We talked about those last week when we looked at Mark chapter 13, right? But we don't know these answers here. And when the Bible is silent on something, we love to try to speculate on our own, right? Like it always happens. Well, here are two examples of what people think could have happened. Some believe that uh, Saul fled to Arabia to protect himself from the Jewish leaders that wanted to silence his conversion. Possible. The second thing, others have suggested that Saul needed the same amount of time, three years, that all of the original disciples had with Jesus. Now, are these right? We don't know. Are they good theories? Sure, why not? But what we do know is that Paul went away for three years into the desert. And in the desert... He spent time with the Lord, and he learned from the Lord. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and re remained with him 15 days. And, and I love the fact that he adds in there that he didn't spend any time with the other apostles other than James, the brother of Jesus. He, he didn't spend time with Paul, Andrew, James, John. He didn't spend any time with them. Just he went up. To Jerusalem to see what was happening, spent some time with James, the brother of Jesus, and that was it. So for perhaps as many as three years, Saul lived somewhere in the desert, 
cut off from his former life. He spent time in solitude, quietness, and obscurity. During that time, I believe he spent his time thinking, praying, wrestling, and listening to the Lord. I mean, could you imagine everything that you had known in your life and what you had been doing and you had put people to death? Could you imagine trying to wrestle with that? And we actually read that Paul's going to deal with that the rest of his life. And Paul is going to go through some pretty hard times in his life as well. In that desert escape, one by one, Saul tossed away his polished trophies. His resume is completely blank at this point. What did he replace it with? He replaced it with Christ. And that's exactly what we need to do as a church today. Well, we've been in a little bit of a desert We've had time just to spend alone and, and, and individually you've had time and I hope that you're going to take the time and we're going to get into those here in just a second. But I pray that you take this time to just be with the Lord. And I'm telling you, he's going to do an amazing work in you and through you if you will just allow him to do so. To just know Christ. That's what we have to do. So it was there in the desert that he came to understand what he wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as garbage, as just one big heaping pile in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, when we read this, one commentator says, in Arabia, he was alone with God, thinking through the implications of his encounter with the risen Christ on the Damascus road. What were those implications? What, what was going to change in his life? Can you just imagine Saul? He'd been so religious, so busy, so active, so engaged, advancing and zealous. And he had been so wrong. He thought he had it all figured out and he was so wrong. The same words might be descriptive of many Christians today. It's not that we're too busy doing wrong things and, and, and following false religions, because that's not the case. But we can be so busy, and we can have idols in our life that distract us from the main point. And I don't need to go through what idols we can have in our lives, right? Because we understand it's not some little graven image. It could be. But that's not necessarily what it means. It means anything that takes your focus off of Jesus. Your house. Your bank account. Your car. Your spouse. Ooh, your children. Tra Travis, did you mean to say those last two? I did. 
because we can focus so much on those things that it takes us away from Jesus. And we have to be so, so careful in those moments. I want you just to think about your life over the last 10 years. Think about your life in the last five years and how complicated it has become. It was pro- it's probably more complicated today than it was five years ago, than it was even 10 years ago. Now, we've been able to streamline a lot of things, and, and we're able to work from home. I mean, that's great that we're able to do so, but even being able to work at home, then we find ourselves distracted by other things. But we complicate our lives, and we fill it full of so much other stuff. I've talked to a, a few people that um, have decided, okay, we're going to settle down, and we're going to retire we're out of the Marine Corps, and we're just going to live here in Stafford. And, and husband gets a job, wife gets a job, and everything's great. And now all of a sudden, I was over at one family's house, and they were like, I have so much clutter and, and, and junk in my garage. I don't know where all of this came from. And I was like, it's not that bad compared to many others, including my own. And they were like, no, Travis, you don't understand. We move every three years. So it's, a, it's constantly throwing out stuff because you just can't keep everything to move it from one house to the next. But we fill our, our lives with clutter and all this other stuff. And what we need to do is just get back to who Jesus is. Now, here's the thing. You don't have to be ge- uh, geographically isolated so don't book your airplane to go to Arabia. Okay, so you don't have to do that. But you can do it right where you're at, in your own home, in your life, where you're at today. I, I just want to share a couple of strategies with you. I know I'm trying to practice them in my own life. And I want to share them with you, and, and I'm really hoping that, that they work through. Number one, instead of speeding up, just slow down. Rethink. Rethink what's going on. You know, unfortunately, many of us, we, we don't slow down and really rethink and think about what's going on in our lives until we go to the doctor and he says, hey, um, the rec- report came back and you have six months. Now that really gets our attention, right? But we need to do that right now, today. Because by then, it's too late. We talked about this last week in Mark chapter 13. We don't know the day or the hour, right? But what we do know is Jesus is coming back. And we better be prepared for his return. And sometimes, we just get so busy with everything else, we just need to slow down. We go to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village... And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. How many of us could he say that to today? Was it the fact that Martha was serving? No, it's good to serve, and we have all been called to serve. And we're going to have ministry table set up next week, and if you're not serving in an area, 
we need you serving. You need yourself serving, and you need to find an area to serve. But the issue was, keep reading here. What say? What, what does Jesus say? Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen to sit at the Lord's feet and just listen. Now, we can't just always listen, right? We have to do. James talks about that. But sometimes we get so busy in our lives that we just serve, 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 go, 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 that we never just slow down and let the Lord listen and, and let the Lord speak to us. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. Shh. Be still and know that I am God. You know, I don't imagine Saul uh, in his time in Arabia running out and, and picking up the bestseller, Six Fast Steps to Success. I don't, I don't see him doing that. But what he did was he sat and he listened. We might do it at first. We might do it first thing in the morning. We might do it at lunchtime. We might do it at bedtime. But we need to take time to slow And number two, instead of talking more, just be quiet and listen. We are bombarded by words and sounds everywhere. And we get so anxious and so worked up because of what we hear commentators saying on the radio, what they're saying on our TV. Do you ever just shut it all off? Teresa watches a lot of older shows. Now, when I say older shows, I'm talking about shows that were set like in the, the 14, 1500s. And she's like, it would be so great to be back then. And I'm like, no, no, it wouldn't. But because you only see so much. But I said, why do you watch these shows? And she says, because there's not any politics in it. Amen. <laughs> but do we ever just shut the TV off? Do we ever just do we ever just shut off the radio and, and drive in silence and let the Lord speak to us? Silence is rarely tolerated in our culture, but James 1:19 says, "Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger." And then lastly, instead of seeking the spotlight or a place of power, be content to humbly serve, even if it just means behind the scenes. There's a lot of you out there that you're not called to be up on this stage. You're not called to be a door greeter. You're not called to, 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 to teach a Sunday school class. But there are plenty of areas that you can serve where you're completely behind the scenes, running the sounds, running the lyrics, mowing the grass. There's so many things that you can do behind the scenes, running the maintenance area at the church, making sure the light bulbs are changed when they need to be changed. You, see, you get what I'm saying. This church runs because of all of those that are working behind the scenes right now. And I'm blessed to say that, that they do an amazing job at what they do. 
and you'll never know their name. But they're working hard to keep it all running and working the way that it does. Saul was used to power. Saul was used to control. He was used to the spotlight. So God took him to a place of obscurity and humility. He writes this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the entrance of others. And one of the greatest examples of this is when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Stinky, nasty, smelly. And all of the disciples, because they wanted power, they looked around at each other and they said, Nope, not me. Because if I do it, that's a slave's job. That's a servant's job. I'm not doing that. Because then all of the other disciples will think they're better than me. And Jesus says, I got you. want to be first you better be last spend your time in the desert because God is going to do a work in you he's going to do a work through you and I truly believe that that is happening right here and now it, it worked in Moses David Joseph Saul of Tarsus it even worked in the movie Castaway, and it can work surely in your life today if you'll just allow him to we're going to take communion, and if you haven't received it yet, it's on the sides, the back tables. You can go ahead and grab that. And as we prepare, prepare to take communion, we're going to sing two more songs. And as we sing those songs, if you, if, if you need someone to talk with and to, to pray with, the elders are going to be in the back. I'm going to be in the back. We'd love to talk with you, to work with you, to help you. If you're ready to place your membership, I promise I'm not too busy. I'll make that time to sit down and to talk. Even if it takes 10 emails to make it happen, we'll make it happen. I promise. <laughs> because we need you. We need you to be a part of the family. If you need to accept Jesus for the very first time, today can be that day as well. But whatever decision you have to make, will you make it as we continue our worship and I pray for our communion. Father, I thank you so much for all of the awesome things that you do. Lord, it is amazing to serve you in so many awesome ways. And Father, I see you doing a work right here. I will tell you that as the pastor of this church, I didn't know what this, these last 18 months were going to hold, but I knew that you were in charge every step of the way. It was hard to sometimes follow your lead because I didn't know where I was going. But we were trying to lead the church. The elders were trying to lead the church the best way that they saw fit. And I'm blessed to have this congregation because so many churches have closed their doors. So many have had to combine with other churches just to be able to keep the doors open. And Father, you have blessed us. And I'm thankful for that. And Lord, I don't want to miss the work that you're trying to do in us. We say that we're a family, but we are a family where there's always room for one more. So as we prepare to go into our 
our fall kickoff, I ask that you just have all of these people that are here today invite at least one person. And it may just be, as Andrew said to Peter, come and see. And that we will share your message this coming week. Father, if there is someone here that just needs you, that you will open their heart to receiving you, that they will come back and, and that we can talk through what that looks like. They need to place their membership and say, hey, I'm ready to serve right here at Stafford County Christian Church. Father, whatever the call is that you are in control, you are in charge. And Father, as we partake of communion, we remember the ultimate sacrifice of your son. We thank you that he lived a human life, that he died for our sins and spilt his blood, and that we remember that sacrifice here today. We pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you.